I feel like I need a taking stock dance because I'm always hyped when the music comes on. I'm Khalila Reynolds and welcome to another live edition of Taking Stock. We're bringing you all the latest business news and telling you how it will affect you and your money. Apologies for the late start tonight. We had some technical difficulties. Those have since been resolved. I know a lot of you are ready and waiting. Many, 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 many comments in the chat even before we started and I see the numbers going up and up and up. So do share this video with a friend. Let them know about the epicness that is about to be taking stock tonight. Remember to hit the like button, subscribe to this channel, and let me know in the chat, where are you joining us from? Let me know in the comments. Also, comment your questions for our guest tonight, Michael Lee Chin. We've got a really interesting show for you this week. So here's a look at what's coming up in tonight's show followed by what's hot in business and come on let's get this money what would you ask a billionaire if you got the chance would you ask him about how he earned his first billion what strategies were used to become successful or what investment ideas could he give you well, in an exclusive interview, we'll talk to the man himself, billionaire businessman Michael Lee Chin, about how he became a billionaire and what plans he has for his businesses and future. And the analysts win on the latest market developments. What impact does the IFRS 17 have on the insurance sector? And US President Joe Biden has signed the debt ceiling bill, avoiding catastrophic economic default. We'll discuss. But first, here's what's hot, brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. Mayberry Investments is urging customers to monitor their accounts closely following a data breach. The company confirmed the breach, noting that personal data for some clients, including names, contact information, and other personal identifying details have been placed on the dark web. However, the company stressed that clients' accounts were unaffected by the hacks. Mayberry said customers should err on the side of caution and change all passwords and monitor all their accounts and contact their financial institution if they observe any suspicious or unusual activity. Travelers from 13 countries are now able to visit Canada without a visitor's visa. Canada already allows visa-free travel to over 50 countries. According to the government, Travelers must have either held a Canadian visa in the last 10 years or currently hold a valid United States non-immigrant visa to be eligible. The visa-free travel has been extended to Antigua and Barbuda, St. Lucia, Trinidad and Tobago, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, St. Kitts and Nevis, Panama, Argentina, Costa Rica, Uruguay, Morocco, Seychelles, Thailand and the Philippines. Jamaica did not make the list. Micro, small and medium-sized businesses will now be able to access up to $800,000 in grant funding through the Development Bank of Jamaica's Gemini Initiative. The growth and expansion of MSMEs through Innovation Initiative will see the DBJ working with the Jamaica Business Development Corporation to provide capacity development to businesses at various stages of the growth spectrum. 
the DBJ has set aside $100 million for the pilot program, which will run until the end of 2024's financial year. The DBJ will provide up to 80% or up to $800,000 per business in funding towards business development services, while the JBDC will assess MSMEs and create a work plan to support their transition through the various stages of growth. Visit dbankjm.com for more information. CEO of microfinancing company Dollar Financial, Kadeen Mears, says the company is hitting the pause button on a second branch in Guyana. Mears said that the company has decided to focus on developing its current Georgetown location before expanding into other areas of the country. The second Guyana location was part of Dollar's regional expansion drive, being funded from its last bond raise. Dollar has been on an aggressive expansion and growth drive, partnering with several companies such as Fosrich, to provide financing options to customers. Hundreds of Jamaicans camped out overnight to be one of the first 100 people to get a Krispy Kreme donut. The American Donut franchise officially opened in Jamaica over the weekend. Restaurant associates will be franchise owners for the brand in Jamaica. The grand opening drew in a massive crowd as customers competed to win a year's supply of donuts. Adam Bogle was the first person in line when the store opened and won a weekly supply of original glazed donuts for a year. The next 11 customers got a 6-month supply and the 13th to 100th customers won a 3-month supply. The International Air Transport Association says global airlines should make nearly 10 billion US dollars in profit this year as business bounces back from the pandemic. In its forecast on Monday, the IATA more than doubled its 2023 profit forecast for the global airline industry despite the potential of an economic downturn. The agency said airlines are expected to make 9.8 billion US dollars in net profit in 2023. It added that the forecast was based on increased cargo revenues, China's reopening and lower jet fuel prices. 4 billion people are expected to travel by air this year, which is a significant increase from 1.8 billion passengers in 2020. What's Heart was brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. This segment of Taking Stock is brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency, insurance made easy. All right, welcome back. Welcome back to everybody. Let me take some of your comments before I introduce tonight's guest. I see those numbers are looking good. Uh, Learn, Grow, Invest says, I thought Kalila would be streaming from a yacht or helicopter. You know, hear the man sell the yacht. <laughs> I stream from the yacht. But maybe next time he can invite me on the helicopter, we can do a show up in the air. Vanguard says, Mike is such an inspiration for our generation. Elaine, newsflash, Kalila walking away from taking stock. I need a, a meme here. That will never happen. That will never happen. Well, who knows? Maybe someday I move it into the Money Mission community. We'll talk about that more a little bit later on. Ayrton Sounds, I appreciate you. See, we were six minutes late tonight, and he says, we'll wait for Kalila patiently, like up by U.S. Embassy. See? Ooh, I have to love you guys. You guys have some patience for me sometimes. Nicole, gotta love Nicole as well. Are you all in the Money Mission community? More on that after the first segment. Where are you guys joining us from? Orville is in Spanish town. Uh, Dodge Maroz says Mandeville present. Keisha waiting in Mandeville. 
Carlton observing from Kingston. Humble Boss and the Grill in the building. Sherdine, greetings from St. Thomas. John Ross says checking in from Port Maria. Elaine waiting in, how is it is now? Suharita, Arizona, somewhere in Arizona for your daily fix. Dalton all the way in Cayman. And yes, uh, Humble Boss says epic episode indeed. So let's get right into tonight's episode. What would you ask a billionaire if you got the chance? Well, you actually now do have the chance this evening. Would you ask him about how he earned his first million or billion? What strategies were used to become successful? What investment ideas could he give you? Well, we are talking to the man himself tonight, Michael Leachin, about his business journey and what plans he has for his business and the future businesses and the future. As you know, he's been in the news a lot lately. So let's welcome Michael Leachin. Hi, good evening. Good evening, Kalila. How are you? I am good. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. Where nice. are you joining Happy us to from? Be here. Where are you joining us from this evening? You're obviously not on the yacht or the helicopter. So <laughs> where are you right now? I'm, I'm joining from Burlington, Ontario, Canada. In Canada. Okay. Is, is it warm in Canada right now? Is Beautiful. Beautiful today. All nice right. time of the year. Very nice. Well, let me just say it's an absolute pleasure to have you on our show, Mr. Leachin. The last time I spoke with you, oh, it was a while ago, probably at least five years ago when you were with the Economic Growth Council and, you know, the whole five and four and that whole discussion. And even though you don't need much of an introduction, you may be new to our audience. It's your first time on the show. So just tell them a bit about Michael Leachin. Oh, you're going to ask questions? You yes, ask questions, I'll, I'll I'll answer. Answer. Yeah, so just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background for those who might not have been living on a rock, I might not know you. <laughs> well, I was uh, I, I was born in Port Antonio, Jamaica in 1951 to uh, a, a single parent. Uh, she had me when she was 18 years old. And when she had me, she was without a job for, for the first six months of my life. So we, both of us were taken in by the helpers at the local supermarket. So we were both uh, adopted, actually, by the helpers of the local supermarket in Port Antonio. So uh, I was the first member of my family to have gone to high, high school. No, not, sorry, to university. I, got us, uh, I worked after graduating from Excelsior, Titchfield, O levels, then Excelsior, A levels. I worked for a year on a cruise ship, uh, and then and and also at Alpart in Saint Elizabeth. And I wanted to save enough money to go to to take me through university for the first year. Uh, so I, which I did. I, at the time, it was two thousand dollars Canadian to get through first year per year for everything: room, books, tuition, etc. I went to Canada having saved the first 2000, not knowing where second uh, financing for my second, third, nor fourth year uh, was going to come from. So I just went anyway, young, adventurous. So at the end of first year university, I got a job on campus laying on the landscaping team. So my job was to lay sod. 
So come July, middle of the summer, I'd saved, saved $600. I needed $2,000 to come for the next year. So mm. middle of July, I thought, where am I going to get the next $1,400 from? So I did exactly what every starving student would do. I, mm -hmm. wrote, to I wrote to the Prime Minister of Jamaica, Mr. Hugh <laughs> Shearer. And I said, Mr. Shearer, I'm a starving student in Canada, engineering student. And I have been writing to your services commissions for a bursary scholarship help. And no one has responded. Mr. Shearer, you cannot. But I notice that you send an emissary of recruiters every year to recruit the graduates. Mr. Shearer, you cannot harvest unless you sow. To my surprise, Kalila, a month later, I got a, uh, a letter from the minister of, from his office. He said, next time you come to Jamaica, come and see me. So mm -hmm. I took $400 of my 600 bought a ticket to Jamaica, and went to see Mr. Shearer. Wow. <laughs> right? So... I didn't see him. I met his permanent secretary and I presented my grades and my grades were reasonable. So, so I got a scholarship for the next three years. I needed 2000. I got a scholarship of $5,000 per year. Wow. I was able to send money back to my family. So because my life was enabled by the largesse of Jamaican taxpayers, I'm forever uh, uh, forever indebted to my country, or else I wouldn't be here otherwise. So that's a big wow. That's a... <laughs> I absolutely love that story. It's my first time hearing that that story. You took a huge risk. So you took four hundred out of the six hundred that you had saved. You yes. needed two thousand. So you ended up deeper in the hole. You end up needing even more. <laughs> but that four hundred turned into five thousand. Yes, per so, year. Per year. Per year. Per yes. year. All right. So how did you get your start in business? So now I, I, I uh, graduated from engineering in 1974, being on a scholarship, I had to come back to Jamaica, which I did and worked for two years for the Ministry of Works. After two years, I came back to Canada and I couldn't get a job in engineering. This was 1976. I sent out 100 resumes. For engineering jobs, I got 100 rejections. Wow. I had three non-engineering job offers. The first was to be a soap salesman. The second was to be uh, the second was to be uh, a long-haul truck driver. And mm. the third was to sell mutual funds to Canadians. Now I didn't know what a mutual fund was, but I got that I got I had that option. No, this, yeah, the third was to sell mutual funds. So all non-engineering jobs, I opted for to sell mutual funds. Now, I didn't know what a mutual fund was, and I had to sell to Canadians. And I don't look like a Canadian. I don't sound like a Canadian. And at the time, Canada was not as cosmopolitan as it is today. So I had to call, call. And when someone said to me, Mike, okay, come and see me at my home. I would ask myself the question, wow, well, first I would say, wow, I felt such a debt of gratitude that these people, this family, would want to invite me to their home to listen to what I have to say. Because of that, I felt such a debt of gratitude that I said to myself, Mike, 
what can you do for these people, this, these, these families that are inviting you to listen to you in their home? What can you do as recompense for their graciousness? What's the highest value add you can give to them? The answer kept coming back to me, Mike, make them wealthy. If you can do that, you will transform their life. Oh, is there a formula that if you practice consistently, the only outcome is wealth? Because if there's such a formula, I wanted to know what that formula was. At the time, 1977 now, there was no Google, so you couldn't Google it. Mm -hmm. So I had to figure it out. So by 1980, I figured it out. I figured out and I codified it. And, and then I lived it. I wanted to be the role model for this formula. So when Kalila, your, 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 your nephew, your daughter, your, your son comes and says, Mommy, how is wealth created? You can say there's a formula. No different from mixing two atoms of hydrogen with one atom of oxygen, you get water every time. So what, what did I codify as a formula to create wealth back in 1980? That's what we all want to know. What is the formula? Tell us. Okay, so what I wanted to do was, to what, what I figured out was the common threads between every single wealthy person. People who created wealth, not inherited it, not got, not, not who were not born into it, not who didn't marry into it, but created it. And I figured that, so I, I went, as an engineer, there's a process you go through when you're looking at solving any problem. Number one, you observe. Number two, from your observations, you create a hypothesis. Then you stress test your hypothesis. Thirdly, if it holds true, you codify it. And then lastly, you hardwire it. So I observe wealthy people. And I noticed that they all did, sorry, I remember, people who created the wealth, they all did five things. The first thing they did, and by the way, Khalil, let me walk you through it. You think of any wealthy person who created it, anywhere in the world, okay? Don't tell me who. And I'm gonna tell you the five things that that person you're thinking of did to have created wealth. Number one, that person, Khalil, created wealth by owning a few, not too many, high quality businesses. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Number two, that person really understands those few businesses. Am I right? Yes. Number three, that per those businesses are domicile located in, in an industry that has strong long-term long growth characteristics. Absolutely. Number four, that person used other people's money to have created the wealth. Yes, very true. And lastly, Kalila, that person's attitude towards ownership is, I'll hold these businesses, these few businesses, for as long as they remain high quality and the industries within which their domicile remains in a strong long-term growth trend. So those mm. are the five things that everybody who did, created wealth did. So all I now need to do, so that's a framework. And all I now need to do was execute on the framework and stick to it, which is what I did. So what was your first business? My first business was, uh, well, firstly, uh, another, we talk, another it's essential necessity to create wealth is what I now codify as the three Ps. 
the first P is you have to be able to predict where a sector is going, where an industry is going, right? Where a country is going. You have to be able to predict. That's the first P. Then you have to plan for your prediction. And then thirdly, you have to persevere with your plan. So if you mm. do the three Ps, you will prosper. Okay? Ah. <laughs> so predict, plan, and persevere. So what did I predict? Persevere, prosper. Uh, yes, mm. ex exactly. What did I predict? I predicted back in 1983 that the money management business, the asset management business would be in a strong long-term growth mode. So how did I conclude that? With a high degree of confidence, whereby I would go out and borrow a lot of money to put into one stock. I'll, I'll explain to you how I predicted. Well, I'm a member of the baby boomer community cohort. So that's bookended by people who were born between 1946 and 1964. And I'm smack bang in the, in the middle. And the baby, boom, baby boomer cohorts cohort is the largest cohort in the North America, was the largest cohort in the North American population back in the late 70s, early 80s, about 30% of the North American population. So whatever that cohort does, because they are such a large percentage of the population, whatever they are doing en masse as a group, there goes the economy. So in 1983, I was 32. So I thought, so what do 32-year-old families, what are they doing today? Well, they're, they're uh, buying a home, they're buying a car, refrigerator, they're, they're, they're consuming. So therefore, 30% of the North American population is engaged in consumption. So we're in a consumption boom right now. But you don't make money, you don't create any wealth by doing what people are doing today. You create wealth by doing, by doing today what they'll be doing tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm 32, people are, we are cons we're all consuming. What will 10 years from now, what will 42 year old Mike be doing? Or the, the likes of 42 year old Mike in the, uh, the median age in the baby boomer cohort, 10 years from now, we're 42. Well, at 42, you're gonna say, oh my gosh, I've been consuming for the last couple of decades. I need to, retirement is coming up in 23 years, 65. I don't have enough money saved. So all of a sudden, coming, the, the largest percentage of the North American population will wake up and say, oh my gosh, I don't have enough money saved, I need to save and invest. So there's coming a saving and investing boom. Predict, based on demographics. So how do I participate in that? Well, uh, <clears throat> I can buy shares in a bank. When you buy shares in a bank, you can get loan losses. So that's not the bullseye. I could buy shares in an insurance company. When you buy shares in an insurance company, you can suffer from underwriting losses. So that too is not the bullseye. Or I can buy shares in an asset management business, bullseye. So I went out as a young man, 32, and borrowed $500,000 Canadian dollars, half a million. It was more than my net worth then to put into one stock. A stock called McKinsey Financial Corporation, which is a money management company, because it met the five criteria. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, number one, it was a high quality business. Number what, two, you were working there at the time, no? No, no, no. I used to sell their products. 
And ah, I was, that's what it was. I was yes. would sell their products. So you were very, was, very familiar with their products. I was very familiar with their products. I was very familiar with the industry. Uh, I knew the margins from uh, the margins pertaining to each product. I understood the regulatory environment. Uh, I understood where the industry was going, etc. So I went out and borrowed half a million dollars to put into one stock, McKenzie. I bought at one dollar per share in nine, October of 1993, and also I went and bought Berkshire Hathaway shares, Mr. Warren Buffett Ooh. shares, back in 1983. Wow! Right? <laughs> Talk so about the, the McKenzie shares went from one dollar in 1983, October, to seven dollars in that by 1987 in four years so 500,000 became 3.5 million that gave wow. me my start so how did you get that loan though somebody was asking in the comments talk about using other people's money not anybody can go into a financial institution and borrow five hundred thousand dollars well you see you see i remember i was selling mutual funds i was selling so i, I had a very good I, I was uh i i had a very good uh, commission flow. Uh, in 1983, I made $750,000 in 1983 selling mutual funds, right? And because I had a cash flow from my earned income, I was able to use the cash flow and borrow against the cash flow. Okay, understood. So what happened next? You, you made that first 3.5 million in what you said, four years? Well, uh, that's just... All along the way, I was doing other things. Uh, but I'll say this to you. If you, you recognize and you're early in an industry or a sector, right? Uh, the, what, you, what you would do is, in other words, if you had come to Toronto in 90 or any, or, or, or any America, Miami, or even Miami, you had, you had gone to a major city in 1970. And you could see clear down through 2023 today. What you'd have seen back in 1970 in Toronto was that downtown Toronto was a lot of green space, right? And when you peer into the future, when you predict the future, you'd see high-rise buildings all over the place. If you could have, if you can predict so with, with such clarity, what would you have done back in 1970? Had you come to Toronto and seen all the, the green space, knowing that by 2023, there's going to be high-rise buildings sprouting out of the ground like weed. What would you have done, Kalila? Huh. Oh, I have no idea. I'd have to think well, about the first that. The first thing you'd have done, Kalila, is load up your front pocket, your back pocket, your side pockets with real estate. And then mm. when, you're, when you're finished loading up your pockets, you now start an aggregating vehicle, whereby you can say, friends family who everybody i'm aggregating real estate i can do it for you through and through this vehicle a fund an aggregating vehicle and we just buy up real estate because by 2023 real estate is going to be many multiples of what it is today that's what you'd have done and so that's basically what i did i bought mckenzie as a start in 83 and then I started an aggregating vehicle to buy up all the mutual fund management companies in Canada, so uh, which was the AIC Advantage Fund. When I started that fund, it had only $800,000 in other people's money, in assets under management. Uh, but that was 1987. By 20, 1998, 
which is 11 years later, we had 15 billion. Wow. Uh, it, the Advantage Fund was the largest private, the, sorry, the AIC was the largest privately owned mutual fund company in Canada. We managed money for over 1 million Canadians. Start, start, starting with a basic premise, PPP, predict, plan, persevere. Uh, once you predict, you, you plan by, in this case, I aggregated asset management businesses when they were very, when the industry was embryonic. So what you described when you talked, you spoke about the, the Toronto landscape and then how, you know, all the high rises came up. It kind of sounds like where Kingston is right now. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as the opportunity for us right now who are investors in Jamaica? <clears throat> uh, you, you're, you're right, uh, Kalila. Uh, Jamaica is fertile because there, there, there's three, there, there's some preconditions I look at before making an investment. The first thing is there must be a difference between perception and reality. Because when there's a difference between perception and reality, you have the knowledge arbitrage, right? If everybody knows the same thing, you can't create any wealth. Secondly, there must be inefficiencies. If things are already efficient, you cannot create wealth. And thirdly, there must well, be a lack of... Jamaica have enough of that inefficiency. That's exactly, I'm coming to that. I'm coming to that. And thirdly, the third precondition is that there must be a lack of capital. Because when mm. there's a lack of capital, any incremental dollar is well treated. So those three conditions are present in Jamaica, right? Uh, so you look at... You, you, you pick a, a long-term seg growth segment, if, uh, real estate. Real estate in Jamaica, uh, we, you will, it will always be a good, great store of wealth. Jamaica will continue to grow. Uh, so you have that underlining uh, tide, rising tide. Uh, so we have seen that movie play out before in other cities. Uh, Jamaica, Jama Jamaican real estate is very undervalued you lift your, your typical home from jamaica and put it in parachute it into cayman it's worth five times as much why do you think that is why is it undervalued here well uh, because, why is it undervalued because we don't have access, access to financing is tough in jamaica right getting access to financing is not easy in Jamaica as it is in other countries, in developed countries. Uh, so access to finance is, a pro is an issue that has caused the price prices to remain stagnant, relatively speaking. True. You know, another area that a lot of people are excited about right now globally is AI, especially we've seen the past six months to a year, the advancements have been rapid in artificial intelligence. Is that an industry, because you said that you need to predict what's gonna be hot in 10 years. Is that an industry that you think has tremendous growth potential that you're looking at? Uh, it may have tremendous growth potential, but it is an industry that I am not, uh, I'm not, I don't have an, a, an understanding enough of it that I can mm. predict the future. Remember PPP, mm -hmm. I have to be able to predict with confidence. So I don't have 
uh, that, that predictive capabilities in that area. I don't understand the industry enough. And I'm not, not around enough people who do understand it. So that's not one an area that I personally would be investing in because I don't have the confidence that I understand it well enough. And there are many people who would understand it better than I would, so they'd run circles around me. I won't have the I want to have the advantage whereby I understand and I can hold my own. Understood. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. So, guys, if you have a very good understanding of AI, you know, take your chances there with the formula that Michael Leachin has outlined for you this evening. We're all taking notes. Let's talk about your investments in Jamaica, one of the largest ones being NCB. How did that happen? How did you end up uh, coming into NCB, investing in NCB? Well, going back to the three preconditions I mentioned before I, I would make an investment. The first being there must be a difference between perception and reality. The second being there must be uh, inefficiencies. And the third being there must be a lack of capital. So uh, Jamaica, this was back in 2002, uh, the, we had the banking crisis in the late uh, 1990s, and NCB was uh, was in Finsac on the stewardship of Finsac. So, if perception versus reality, most people, most international investor wouldn't perceive of Jamaica as an investment haven. They would not, right? You just don't think of Jamaica as investment nirvana. But what I saw was. Scotia Bank came to Jamaica before it went to Toronto. Jamaica was the first uh, uh, endeavor of Scotia Bank outside of Halifax, Nova Scotia. Jamaica was the first step outside of Canada and outside of Halifax in 1888. And Scotia in 2001 made 25% of its after tax earnings, Scotia International made 29% of its after-tax earnings from Jamaica. Scotia was in 50 countries then. This is prior to going into Latin America. So one country, Jamaica, they're making 25% of their profits, Scotia International. Scotia General, uh, which includes head office in Canada, made 8% of its profits in 2001 from Jamaica. So I thought, Scotia, if you ask Scotia, uh, if Jamaica is a investment haven, they say, absolutely, we're making a lot of profits, a disproportionate amount of profits from Jamaica. So perception versus reality. They, they, they knew the reality because they were on the ground. Uh, number two, uh, the second precondition was there must be inefficiencies. We know there are lots of inefficiencies in Jamaica. And NCB was particularly inefficient because it was managed by, uh, by uh, it was not owned. There was no owner. It was managed by the government, basically. Uh, so it was very inefficient. And thirdly, there, there, there wasn't too much capital available in Jamaica to buy NCB. So NCB met those three criteria, uh, preconditions. Uh, and hence, that was my inspiration to go and, and buy it in 2002. But having bought it, and the, the other reason I bought it was there are many investors, international investors, that looked at uh, NCB. And they read, they can read a balance sheet probably better than I am. I can. I'm not an accountant. So they passed. Most investors passed. In fact, one institution, 
financial institution said, this is not a bank, this is an ugly monkey, right? Mm. To, towards NCB. So what did I see in NCB that, that was uh, alluring? Well, you know, when you look at an investment, you can look at the balance sheet, which is what, is what most people do. But the, 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 the uh, business person uh, would say, hmm, are there some intangibles that this business owns that would not be on the balance sheet that I can get for free? And yes, there was a big intangible with NCB that was nowhere on the balance sheet. And that oh, intangible, okay. eh? What was that? Yeah, you're about to tell us. That intangible was, it was the emotional connection between the National Commercial Bank of Jamaica, NCB, and the, and the Jamaicans, the Jamaican people, that emotional connection, because it wasn't National Commercial Bank of Germany or Canada. It was mm -hmm. the National Commercial Bank of Jamaica. It was the People's Bank. So mm -hmm. that was the emotional connection. So the, 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 the question was that I had to ask myself as a new owner was, how do I, uh, uh, how do I translate, transform that emotional connection into cash flow and business for the bank? So how did you do it? So how, how did you turn around NCB? Because when you took it over, it was nowhere near what it is today. Well, uh, we just we, we did two things, a couple of things. But the first was uh, when I when I bought the bank, I thought, what's the highest value add this bank can give to Jamaica? What's the highest value add this vessel, this bank can give build give to building a better Jamaica. And the answer kept coming back to me, make Jamaica wealthy, right? So, so how do you use a, a bank to make a country wealthy? Well, how do countries become wealthy? Well, countries become wealthy by doing two things. Number one, reinvesting, reinvesting profits. And number two, reinvesting in keeping the best and brightest in the country. Okay, so the first thing we did was we'll say we had a card called Key Card. We said, whenever Jamaicans, whenever you use Key Card, we will reinvest one percent of your spend in education, right? So that your kids will have an opportunity to complete high school, complete their CXC, CXCs, uh, to get a scholarship to a university, and that's what we did. Secondly, we will build a business so emin, uh, eminent in its stature globally that young, bright Jamaicans will say, I don't need to go to uh, Canada. I don't need to emigrate to uh, Germany or uh, the United States. I can get my emotional, my, 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 my economic, my professional fulfillment right here in Jamaica at NCB. So we want to build a business that is so eminent in its reputation that young, bright Jamaicans will aspire. The best and brightest will say, I don't need to go anywhere else. I can get it here or uh, any, any, any of the NCB group of companies. We have a lot of questions in the chat, Mr. Leachin. I think this is a great one to start us off with. Jason says, what failures did you have on your way to success? Well, the, 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 the failure 
it was when I stepped outside of my circle of competence. Mm. And my circle of competence would have been uh, defined by the five laws of wealth creation. So, so uh, I decided when I was, when I started AIC actually, to get into the pork processing business to make ham and bacon, right? I knew nothing about it, but I got into that business and it was a mess because I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about uh, the, 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 the it, it's a low margin business and you have to have scale. I didn't put enough capital into it to, to get the scale. Uh, so, so, and, and I didn't know, and, and people were actually stealing from the business. So that was a total disaster. So I stick to my knitting, knitting right now. <laughs> Makes sense. Next question comes from L. El Sharawi, a lot of us have brilliant ideas but lack the required capital financing. How can I get this financing? I want a hundred thousand US dollar loan from your bank, but I'm sure I won't get it. <laughs> well, well, if you have that attitude, you're sure you're not gonna get it. You won't get it, right? So you have to have a positive attitude. So, you know, at the end of the day, as I said, I started off by I was, I was selling mutual funds, but not only was I selling, I was very uh, dedicated to investing from the get, taking my cash flow and investing it. The first thing I did was to buy a home. So owning a home is the foundation for wealth creation. So all of us should aspire, should suck our gut in to buy a home. Because when you buy a home, uh, you pay your mortgage, your, your, your principal is being paid down over time, and you have value being developed, you have equity. Then you can take the equity out of the home and make an investment into yourself first, right? Uh, your best investment is to invest in yourself. Mm, all right. And I see a lot of other comments similar to that one saying it's difficult getting the getting the capital to start up whatever business people are trying to start up. But you said invest in yourself first, own your home. But let me point out this, Mr. Leachin, the housing market now is a lot, lot different than what it was back in the 80s and even the 90s when you would have been making those investments on the personal side. It is a lot more difficult and expensive to own a home today. So do you still think that applies in this environment, this economic environment? Yes, because it will, it will become even more expensive 10 years from now. Mm. Mm. All right. It, it, it has always been, it has always been that getting started, owning your first home was always a difficulty. It has, that has always been the case of affordability. So, uh, but, you start small and you grow, you, you grow your way up. Let's fast forward to some of the more recent developments. We were talking about NCB not too long ago, and it was announced recently that you're going to be taking a three-month leave of absence from NCB Financial Group to focus on operations in your Canadian company. So yes. can you walk us through what led to that decision of you taking leave? Well, firstly, uh, there is a lot going on here uh, in, in Canada in terms of two areas of endeavor that I am pursuing wholeheartedly. The first is uh, I've invested heavily in 
uh, in cancer oncology and specifically treating cancer at the cellular cellular level, not just chemotherapy or uh, radiation therapy. It's identifying cancer, the, 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 the receptor on particular receptor on a, uh, the, the, that is, a, is unique to a particular cancer. Each cancer cell has a unique receptor on them. So what we do is we find a protein molecule that is attracted to that receptor. And once we can get to that receptor on that cancer cell, we can attach a radioisotope, in, the, in this case, gallium-68, to the protein molecule, which takes the gallium-68 to the infected cells and the infected cells only. And then it, that light, the gallium-68 can now light up on a, on a PET scan. So we can see exactly where the cancer is, wherever it is. And once we can see it, we can treat it. In other words, what we now do is replace the gallium-68 with uh, another radioisotope by the name of lutetium-177 uh, and it get, uh, attach it to the, uh, to the protein molecule which takes the lutetium to the infected cells and in the lutetium emits uh, beta rays, which are two millimeters in length, zaps the cancer and leave neighboring cells alone. So that is a modality of treatment that is fastly supplanting traditional chemotherapy and radiation, and you don't get any side effects. That's the Ooh. first thing. The second, the second area of endeavor is most countries have signed up to be carbon. We're talking about prediction now, okay? Most countries have signed up to be, to be carbon net zero by 2050. We have an humankind has an ex existential threat. It's, the, it's coming from carbonization of the world. So if we don't stop using fossil fuels, we, 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 we will have, it's, as I said, it's an existential threat to, to humanity. So currently, the current energy mix that is typical in every country would be, I define as the hub and spoke. At the hub, you have uh, fossil fuels, and the spokes would be renewable energy, uh, uh, sun, wind, etc., hydro, etc. But it's the hub, which is uh, the energy, fossil fuels at the hub, which is causing all these nasty problems, carbonization, etc., etc., etc. So we have to replace that uh, those fossil fuels with a clean, high density fuel that is scalable and is always on, which is on, the only one is nuclear. So the, the fuel mix for countries in the future will be nuclear will be at the center, the hub, and you will have renewables as the, as the spoke. So that, that's, that, is the pre, that has to come. So countries, including Jamaica, will have to move away from fossil fuels and they have made a commitment by 2050, they will have to be carbon net zero. Industries and the country as a whole has to be carbon net zero. And that's throughout the world. So, but countries, as I said, nuclear has to be at the center. So there's a huge demand for nuclear know-how coming. But most countries don't have the nuclear muscle. So therein lies a fantastic business opportunity. So what I've done is starting an ecosystem whereby I can go to any country in the world, any and say, look, you have a problem, Miss, Mr. Sheik or Miss President 
or Mr. Prime Minister? What's the problem, Mike? Well, you sign up for this carbon net zero by 2050. How are you going to achieve it? I don't know. It was the right, it was the thing to have done at the time. But we don't mm. know how to do it. So, okay, I've put together an ecosystem that will solve that problem for you. Whether you are Abu Dhabi, Dubai, or Jamaica, or anywhere in between. So the ecosystem consists of, we signed an MOU with the Canadian Nuclear Laboratory, which is the repository for all things nuclear in Canada. It's a national nuclear laboratory. It has 1,600 nuclear engineers and 600 PhD nuclear scientists. So if you Google Portland and CNL, Canadian Nuclear Laboratory, you see the MOU. First time in the world it has ever been done. Whereby we can, we'll collaborate uh, their IP and we'll take their IP and be able to uh, go to countries to help them to become carbon net zero. Uh, but at the, same, at the same time, part of the ecosystem has to be has to consist of being a the small modular reactor, which is like a miniaturized nuclear plant, will be what will be the energy source of the future, SMRs. So, ladies and gentlemen, Google SMRs and start educating yourselves because that will be the energy source of the future, right? Mm. So we had to get the domain experience of owning an SMR company. So, so that when we, when, we, when we go to any country, we could say we could offer them complete end-to-end -end services, including rolling out an, a, a program for small modular reactors and also a program for manufacturing hydrogen as a source of fuel for, for automation, right? So the ecosystem is now complete. We have Canadian nuclear laboratories, uh, and we have uh, a, a company which is going to be the first SMR company in the world to be rolled out, to be operationalized. It's called USNC, Ultra Safe Nuclear Corporation out of Seattle, right? So we can now go to any country. And if you're to Google Portland and MBM Holdings, you'll see that uh, we have signed an MOU, a, a, a MOU with uh, MBM Holdings, which is uh, the ruling family of Dubai, uh, to take this uh, our, our know-how and help Dubai to achieve their vision 33, 23. Wow. That's a big contract. But it's not a contract. Firstly, we, we, we're going to work together to on, on that project. Oh, it's an MOU, not a contract yet. But Jason says, sounds like you're planning to bring competition to JPS because Jamaica has those same goals. We have signed on to, I, I don't even remember what it was, 50% by 2030 or something like that. Uh, so are you planning to bring this type of technology to Jamaica? Yes, you can see more and more conversations happening in the public domain about nuclear. And, uh, and that's just not only in Jamaica, but globally. Uh, every day, because as we, we, we get closer to 2050, you will see more and more uh, sensitization about the benefits of nuclear and also the safety of nuclear. How safe is it? Well, uh, when, when, the, 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 the book, uh, when you think of nuclear, three, three disasters would come to mind. Fukushima in Japan, Chernobyl in the, uh, Ukraine, uh, in Russia, and Three Mile Islands uh, in America. 
and those are the big boogeymen when, when people want to scare you about uh, nuclear. But in Fukushima, although it is, uh, it is so well advertised, no one died. In, on, in Three Mile Islands, no one died. Nuclear is safer than solar wind in terms of number of deaths per energy generated. It's the safest of all. And when you just think about the, the practice, the, 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 the common sense nature of it, you've heard of nuclear submarines and nuclear warships, right? Mm -hmm. They're all and they're all SMRs. They have a small nuclear plant on them. And when was the last thing you heard of one of them melting down? You don't. The nuclear plant of today is the fourth generation nuclear plant that are now will be built in factories so you can manufacture them uh, like cars. And they're passively safe. So you, you can't, they can't have a meltdown. Well, I don't know enough about it to challenge anything you said, so I'm just going to take your word at it. But let's come back to, because I asked you that question because we were asking about NCB and you leaving, uh, you taking a leave of absence, a three-month leave of absence. So these are your two pet projects right now, cancer research and nuclear energy. Uh, Gregory wants to know, he says the shareholders of NCB Bank are concerned. We see the share price plunging mainly because of the interest rate, NCB scandals, and a lack of dividends. What are your plans to address these issues? Those are real. Those are real. Those are good comments. Share price plunging because of for all those reasons. The main one being a lack of dividends, right? And I can assure you that it is a concern for everybody at NCB. Uh, to this point, NCB has been uh, uh, damning its cash flow because if you look at it, the business is very profitable, right? Very, very profitable, hitting record profits. Last year, last year, NCB made how much? $39 billion, $39 billion. Uh, so it's very profitable. The company uh, has been storing dividends to, to make sure that the unknown challenges that uh, are, are ahead, if they are, we're, we're, we're meant we maintain the strength of uh, a strong balance sheet. So at some point, though, at some point, uh, dividends will be paid and the erudite investor should always look at the business the business is doing well. It's a great business. And NCB has a strong position in Jamaica. And because of our ownership of Guardian, we, 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 are, we have a fantastic insurance business right through the Caribbean. So if you look at the business itself, it's, it, is being, it is selling today at book value. Book value. NCB should be selling for two times book, which is twice as much. So those people who are confident about... Uh, who have confidence will be should be investing now because that's how wealth is created. You buy low. Mm. Mm -hmm. But so, what 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 most people do when things are uh, when when they think that they smell a crisis, they run for the hills. But you must always remember the Chinese definition of the word crisis is crisis like a, it's like a formula. Crisis equals danger plus opportunity. 
So you can't, you can't get a, an opportunity unless there's a crisis. So when people say, oh my gosh, the world is falling down. That's when you should be saying, I know, I feel afraid. Then you know there's a crisis. Then you should be saying, let me, let me steady myself and remember the Chinese definition. Crisis equals danger plus opportunity. So instead of me running for the years, I should study myself and say, hmm, where are the opportunities? Where are the opportunities in this perceived crisis? Mm -hmm. Right? In this case, the price, stock price is cheap. So anything is cheap, you buy. And the good thing about buying shares, in the case of NCB, you can buy one share for $70. Right? So you want everybody. Two years ago, it was over $200. Exactly. And you look at the earnings, you look at the earnings, the earnings have not fallen uh, pro uh, 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 proportionately. Or the earnings, we have been there, bank has been doing very well. It's, it's, the, it's the most profitable business in Jamaica. So speaking of you know, buying and selling, you've recently sold a number of assets. So you sold the yachts, which everybody was, you know, had an opinion on when you had it there in, in Portland. You sold CVM uh, late last year. You have the house in Cayman up for sale, it was reported. And I think there are a couple of other things as well. So what is Michael Leachin up to right now? Why why all these assets being sold? You know, time? you know, periodically you have to take stock. Uh, it's, it's like spring cleaning, right? Uh, you accumulate these things and then you say, hmm, uh, am I getting optimal use out of these? assets right agent stage what should i be doing what what should how should i be allocating my capital today do i have better areas to invest to allocate, allocate capital and i just give you two wonderful areas cancer uh and investing in that in that area because we're in a strong growth mode unfortunately and clean energy we're, in a, we're using nuclear, and that's a huge opportunity. So it's a, we all should reassess how we are allocate capital periodically because over time you accumulate and you may not need all the things that you accumulate. Talk truth, though. How nice was the yacht? Fantastic. <laughs> did, it, did it pay you to give it up? Huh? Well, did it pay you, 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 you know, you know, I, I, I say this to you and view on our viewers. Uh, when I when I was when I did not own a big house, I aspired to a big house, right? Now that I own a big house, I said to myself, "My how many rooms do you really use of the big house? How many rooms do you really use?" And invariably, it's probably no more than three, right? Mm -hmm. So. You, you know your 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 perspective over time change cars you get initially i thought man i need the latest ferrari right but today you, you buy a ferrari the the thrill of ownership uh would last a couple of weeks then you move on to something else so so but you, you, one has to go through it to get it out of your system mm. Right, uh, so it's it's a matter of prioritizing how you how you live, how you spend your 
your time, how you spend your, your, how your assets are allocated, and just want to make sure that you, you can manage and you're actually getting utility out of what you own. Makes sense, makes sense. So you're saying asset allocation right now, you're reallocating, so those assets reallocating into these two areas that you are focusing heavily on right now, uh, which are cancer research, nuclear energy, yes? Yes, yes. Okay, all right. So another question we've been getting a lot. When that announcement initially came out, people were saying, what's wrong with Michael Leachin? Is he sick? Is something? Is everything okay? Can you set the record straight on that? Well, uh, I'm 72, okay? And every year I make sure that I can do my age in push-ups. Mm -hmm. So yesterday morning, I did 73. Non-stop. Did that answer that, that question? You're eh? fit as a fiddle in great health. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is awesome. I'm going to take one last question because quite a few people were asking in the chat and we're, we took this interview way over our usually allocated time because people are, are really into it. Uh, one last question. Where is it? I saw a few people asking the same question. Uh, is he interested? Okay, here we go. Nakisia, is he interested? Are you interested in using your formula to mentor a group of people who would be able to replicate it to the mass of young interested adults? So lots of people asking <coughs> if you would be interested in mentoring young Jamaicans right now. 100% Kalila. So I make your deal, Kalila. Mm -hmm. uh, you put together the forum and I will turn up. What? Yes. What to me? <laughs> you put together the forum because you're a genius at that. And I turn up and do whatever I can to, uh, to, to, to impart my uh, whatever I can to, so that others can learn from my experiences. That's, my, that's also a passion that I have. So you put together the forum and I turn up. I'd... Listen, I got you. We will we'll make this happen. I know that I know the perfect forum already. So yes, and the more skilled skilled it is, the better because we're helping more people. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me, Mr. Lee Chin. I really appreciate you being here and extending that very generous offer as well. My pleasure. As I said, my, I am beholden to my country because. If, it, if I had not gotten a scholarship from Jamaica, I would not be here today. So I'll never forget that. Absolutely. Wow. Very great interview. Thank you so much once again. And to our viewers, it is time for you to take our poll question. I feel like, almost feel like this poll question is irrelevant now, but we already planned it before, <laughs> before we started the interview. How do you feel about Michael Leachin taking a break from NCB to focus on his other businesses? And he's given you some context now. So now you know the reason that might influence your answer. Here are your options. This will be bad for NCB. NCB will be fine either way. I wonder if there's more to this story. I don't care other leave a comment so you can take this poll on twitter or on the community page community tab of our youtube channel and while you're at it guys hit the like button 870 i think this is the most live views we've ever gotten on taking stock on taking stock so hit the like button 
Up next, we've got your market recap, and the analysts are standing by. I'm Bulwark Insurance Agency, insurance made easy. Hey, moneymakers, join the KRM fam with our official merch. Get it now at KhalilaReynolds.com. Let's get this money. The JSE Combined Index lost 1,000 points in May. 127 stocks traded across the main and junior markets for the month. 54 made gains, 67 lost value, and 6 stayed the same. 515 million shares changed hands on the Jamaican dollar market, valued at $2.3 billion. Now here's a look at some of the highlights for the month of May. The main index lost half a percent. The junior market gained 1%. The financial index fell almost 3%, and the manufacturing and distribution index gained almost 4%. Trans-Jamaican Highway was May's most traded stock. It took up 20% of market volume, with people buying and selling 108 million shares in the company. The stock opened June at $2.09. Wigton was the month's second most traded stock. It gained one cent open the new month at 80 cents. And Fosrich rounded out May's most traded. The stock lost 36 cents to start June at $2.29. Now let's see who had the biggest gains for the month. Cygnus Real Estate Financial JMD was May's biggest gainer. The stock climbed 35% to open June at $14.57. Caribbean Assurance Brokers had the second biggest jump in May. The stock closed the month at $2.55. And Caribbean Flavors and Fragrances was the third biggest gainer. The stock was up 30% to start June at $1.62. On the losing side now, JPS 7% was last month's biggest loser down almost 45% to open the new month at $69.30. Medical Disposables and Supplies was the month's second biggest loser. The stock was down almost 29% to open June at $4.14. And rounding on the biggest losers was JMMB 7.5%. The stock fell 18%, closing the month at $1.12. Over on the Trinidad and Tobago Stock Exchange, the Composite Index was down 4.5% last month. Massey was the most traded stock for the month. It opened June at $5 TT. Endeavor Holdings was the market's biggest gain, up almost 15%, to open at $12.65 TT. And on the losing side, Trinidad Cement fell 22% to open the new month at $2.70 TT. Over in the U.S., the Dow Jones was mostly flat for the month of May, while the S&P 500 gained almost 4% and the Nasdaq was up 8%. At the pumps, the price of 87 gas was up $2.57 in May, while 90 was up $2.59. On the other hand, regular diesel prices fell $4 for the month, while low sulfur diesel fell $4.10. In foreign exchange, overall the Jamaican dollar weakened in May, gaining $1.90 to close the month at an average $155.83 for one US dollar. The Canadian dollar and British pound also weakened, while the euro strengthened slightly. Finally, on the crypto markets, Bitcoin prices fell 3% for the month. The cryptocurrency traded at $27,223 US on May 31. And Ethereum was up 2%, trading at $1,874 on May 31. This segment of Taking Stock, The Analyst, is brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart, and Profit Jumpstarter.
Disclaimer. This is not intended as financial advice. Please consult a licensed financial advisor before making investment decisions. Am I on? Yes, here we go. Woo! Almost time now for the analyst. What an amazing interview with Michael Leachin and what an amazing offer as well. He has offered to mentor some of you. Listen, I'm on that list. I'm going to be asking for myself because while he was talking, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what he would recommend to me about KRM. You know, what, what should we be doing? How should we be planning and predicting? And, you know, all the P's that he told us about. And as he said, I just need to put together the forum. Listen, my mind starts going like this because you know we already have the Money Mission community and I also have plans in train for Money Week. So Money Week is going to be an in-person event. Money Mission community is an online forum. So it would depend on his availability, whether he can join us in person or we're going to do something online. We'll definitely discuss that. But I'm going to tell you now, if you are not a member of the Money Mission community, listen, yesterday's price is not today's price after that interview with Michael Leachin. And if we end up doing that inside the community, you would be well advised. He would probably give you this advice based on the things he was saying earlier you would be well advised to join now before the big announcement comes up for Michael Lee Chin, either in the Money Mission community or joining us at Money Week when that time comes. And either way, even if it is in person at Money Week, Money Mission community members would be getting exclusive discounts on that event. And that is going to be huge because, like I said, he just said the word and my mind just starts, I start planning mentally planning already so you need to be a part of the money mission community over there is where we talk all things finance i'm moving a lot of my premium content into the community for many reasons and as a matter of fact last night we had our second webinar in the community and this time we were joined by robert gordon who is the chief operating officer at criff information services and he was telling us all about credit reports and credit scores I want to show you a short clip from that event right now. So let me just share my screen. I'm going to show you a little bit of what we spoke about at that event. Can I full screen it? I wonder if it will. It's J are the 10 different tranches. And associated to those tranches are the risk levels. Like I said, from very low risk to very high risk. And it's not, it's all financial institutions have a different appetite for risk. Their risk levels may take on persons that are very high risk, but at least the financially, because all we're doing is we're providing them with information. They may say, well, okay, so you are a higher risk. We want to give you the opportunity. We may have to give you less than you're asking for, and we may have to apply a higher interest rate, and it could be completely the opposite. You have a very low risk. We're willing to give you a better credit rate, a better interest rate because your risk is so low. So it becomes an asset as well as for those who are not paying their bills, it is, it is to their detriment. Okay. So just to go over that, you said that your credit scores go from three, what did you say? Two, two. All right. So I gave you a little snippet. I wasn't planning on showing that tonight. 
So I didn't quite get exactly the bite that I wanted, but I, he was making the point that your credit report is actually an asset. So if you know your credit score, you are able to use that to negotiate with the financial institutions for better rates when you go in to borrow. That interview last night in the Money Mission community was absolute gold. We got so much information about how our credit reports, our credit scores, the scale affects our ability to borrow. And you heard Michael Leachin talk about using other people's money to grow wealth, how he borrowed money for his first major investment. Now, if you want to do the same, use other people's money to borrow, you have to first know what position you are in to be able to borrow. You have to first know how good your reputation for borrowing is. How good is your reputation for paying back that money? So if you're going to approach the banks, they're going to do their due diligence on you. They're going to check up how likely is it that you are going to repay. And so if they're doing that, finding that information on you, they know more about you than you know about yourself if you don't go and find that information for yourself as well. That's what we spoke about last night in our webinar called, almost a real cause of it, that was the first one. What is your credit score? That was the name of last night's webinar. That webinar is now available for replay inside the Money Mission community. Uh, you can find the link, hopefully, in the description. Definitely you can go to moneymission.mn.co and you can look for what's your credit score. Very, very, very important information for you. Join us in that community. You heard Michael Leachin says he's making himself available. So guys, do not miss the opportunity because price soon go up. I've been saying this for the past month and I haven't gotten around to raising the price yet, but trust me, price increase is coming. Everybody telling me I'm charging too cheap. <laughs> right, Nicole? <laughs> Well, anyway, let me introduce the analysts now. I'm joined by equities trader at JMMB Group, Clive Charlton, and CEO of Profit Jump Starter, Keisha Bailey. Welcome, Clive. Welcome, Keisha. Hey, hey. Hi. Thanks for having me Ooh. again. <laughs> I, feel, I feel hype this evening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hyped up. That, that was a great interview. Trust me. Little damn truth here, I guess. So Michael Leachin is my unofficial mentor. So I have mm -hmm. these post-it notes that they're all around my office every day. The same principles he spoke about, they are there. All of them. So the whole time he was talking, I was like, whoo, because he's giving the framework for wealth. And yes. I believe wealth is possible. It is like a follow framework. Frameworks make things easily implemented and if framework work for him it can work for you same like you know he came from a poor background and if it he worked was for him with a golden spoon in his mouth yes so it was a great interview great great the whole oh. time i was just referring to my little cards yeah. just you know <laughs> i need to watch it back and take yes notes. over and over mm -hmm. so clive uh you're talking this evening about ifrs 17 and its impact on the insurance sector First, tell us what is IFRS 17? Okay, so, uh, so okay. well, I will go into I, IFRS 17. But first, I must congratulate you on getting Mr. Leachin on your show. And, you know, again, I think by now, sometimes there are some people that the Jamaican public or the ordinary people take on to, and I think he's one of them because of his humbleness. 
So, and I really appreciate him even making that offer to you because he's really extending that offer to the whole Jamaica, an opportunity to get to know, you know how to start business and how to build wealth. And it's not just money, it's building wealth. I think there's a big difference. So we understand that there's a discipline to it and it has a greater purpose than just self-aggrandizement. Uh, he mm -hmm. spoke about the cars, the houses. You really have to step above that. And I think Jamaica, if you do that, the country will be much better off, you know? But wonderful, Mr. Leachin, big up yourself, right? And you too, Kalila. Right. Thank you. Um, yeah, man. So IFRS 70, you know, <clears throat> interestingly, you know, I'm into stocks, you know, and we're very much we're very much concerned at all times that companies are reporting the information that we expect them to report. You know, we want to know that one, there are some accounting principles about timeliness, but prudency, um, accurateness, we want to know that. But sometimes you, know, you can be accurate, but how do you report accurateness, you know? For example, what IFRS 17 is dealing with, and is a principle broadly in IFRS's International Financial Reporting Standards, right? And uh, over, I think it, I'm not sure when the, the, this 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 uh, convention started, but um, you know, it's it's most of the world. I think it's about 122 countries apply IFRS International Financial Reporting Standards. The United States also apply the same stat. Well, the United States has the official GAP, US GAP, General GAP, something general accounting, something principles, right? You can, Keisha can help me here, right? But, um, and it is adopting IFRS slowly. But the thing is that many American companies are multinational corporations, so they operate in jurisdictions that adopt fully, wholly IFRS standards, accounting standards. And this is really putting in place that we can compare. Um, financial statements easily, you know, as well as analysts are able to, to, to disaggregate figures and information in financial statements easily. Sometimes you have to dig so hard in a financial statement to get information that is very tedious and you may not get to the bottom of it. So IFRS is really standardizing reporting, you know, of financial statements. Everyone all over the globe and any jurisdiction can access the critical information correctly and easily, right? And we should all come to the same or more or less the same calculation in terms of value. Not necessarily, but should. Right? IFRS 17. There are certain um, uh, standards that different industries must meet, and insurance is one of them. It was previously IFRS 4, that insurance company that really stated how insurance companies should report revenues and of course, their costs, their liabilities, and their entire cost structure. You know, uh, it kind of allowed some flexibility. Let me tell you what one of the flexibility, and we can can expand this to other companies. Uh, let's say I sell a product, right? I give you the product, and you give me cash. I can record this cash as revenue. I record this transaction as a, as a revenue, right? So, give you a product. You give me a hundred dollars cash for argument's sake. I record that in my balance sheet as in my PL as a hundred dollars revenue minus my cost or micro profit. And you can say, okay, the company did this well. Uh, suppose, however, that you give me a hundred dollars cash, but I don't give you the product same at the same time, or I give you a piece of the product. Do I still record a hundred dollars as as revenue, or do I say because I gave you a half of the product, I record $50 as revenue and the other 50 as a liability because even though you gave me the cash, I have an obligation to use a liability as well as, suppose I sell a product for $100, but that product is a subscription. Like in your program, Kalila, let's say someone pays upfront, but they have 12 months of viewership or whatever activity you offer. Eh? But in January, you're recording a financial statement just for January. Don't reach February, March, and the rest of the year yet. Do you record that full amount 
that your client gave you as revenue or do you say i record one tenth or one twelfth of it 12 months in the year one twelfth of it's in january and then you have the next 11 months of cash as some liability right? this is what insurance companies is is ifrs is trying to do with insurance companies so it means then that there will be a readjustment of financial statements going back five years which is the standard now let me quickly go into what it is IFRS provides consistent principles on all aspects of accounting for insurance companies. Uh, it removes existing inconsistencies and en enables investors, analysts, and others to meaningfully compare companies, contracts, and industries. This is important. Right? Now, what is interesting, some figures published. There's 13 trillion US dollars worth of assets that is in the balance sheet held by these insurance companies. The question is, is it really 13 trillion dollars worth? Or is it probably a little bit less? Because the way we account for revenue, which impacts our profitability, which impacts the assets of the balance sheet, has been exaggerated a little bit. That might be the case. So what you might see among insurance companies, and not just insurance companies, might impact some other companies, is a readjustment of the revenue and the profitability, and of course, the balance sheet of some of these insurance companies. You may see revenue especially restated revenue going back five years, reduced. You may see liabilities expanded in the balance sheet. You may see assets reduced and shrunk a little bit. Now, interestingly, an insurance company, they offer all sorts of different types of contracts, right? Um, but the most prominent contract is, are the ones we can readily relate to is life insurance. And these can extend 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Young people just start working, open a life insurance contract. They probably have a lifespan of up to, let's say the average 75, 80 years. So between 20 and 80, 60 years. Um, old people like me, older people like me, I probably have another 25 to 30 years of life left. Probably using the average, you know, age. So it, it, it creates a very tenuous situation where they must now measure revenue accurately, right? So IFRS 17 provides some guidance. Um, one of the examples I can say, state here is that some companies may provide, some companies present cash or deposit received as revenue. That is, you sign a contract, you pay a premium that is recognized as revenue immediately, right? And each year as a take on onboard more clients, that is recorded as revenue, right? But IFRS 17 is saying that that is exaggerated, right? That premium that is paid, the liability lasts for the next 60 years in case of a young person, perhaps age 20, who we expect to live a fruitful life, hopefully, up till age 80. It may last 25, 30 years for someone like me who's much older. Right? Um, someone 60, 70 who just started a contract, a little shorter. The point is, is that as the period of coverage extends, then it means that the risk and the potential liability extend. We have to account for that. So that premium received, we can't just record it as revenue. We have to apportion it according to the liability and recognize a fraction of it as revenue now. So it means that you're going to see many insurance companies restating their revenue or you're going to see adjusted revenue. You may see revenue seemingly fall. It didn't fall really. I mean, we have to be careful how we use the word. We use the word adjustment rather than fall, right? So the cash balance is the same. The revenue business is growing. Let me compare it to, uh, I think I'm talking a little bit fast. I'm too much. Well, really, I want to come down to two things. So mm. how does this affect us? You say insurance companies are going to be readjusting their revenue. So what companies as investors are we looking at that okay. we may need to pay attention to 
regarding this standard? And then secondly, will this impact insurance rates that we pay? I don't, this should not impact insurance rates, right? This is just a change in accounting model, right? Um, it should not impact their cash flow, their cash stream, at least in the initial instance, right? It should not impact their business opportunity. That is to get clients uh, to onboard new, um, what do you call it, um, policyholders. It shouldn't impact them at all, right? Um, it's just the way revenue is recorded. Uh, what it might impact though, because it impacts how financial statements are published or what is recorded, how it is measured, it means then that how investors value the stock price of the company may be adjusted. It means that when next result comes out, if the market is not properly informed, when next results comes out, we may see an adjustment of stock prices going forward. But that is temporary because this is in the short term. In the long run, everything remains the same. It ought to remain the same. That is in the long run. And as I said, we're thinking long term, the stock price will tend to the value of the company overall, right? So it should not impact, though, your policy, right? What should impact policy is not IFRS 17, which is the accounting standard. But we know that in the media over the last year or so, we have seen a lot of publication on reinsurance risk. Um, right. Right. That is a separate issue. That is a cost structure that is going to be added to the cost structure of, of insurance companies. That is going to add to the risk of everybody, including us. So that now may cause an increase in premium, but not IFRS 17 at all. Mm. If, if, I, if I can relate it, here's something that is probably a little bit more relatable. We talk about depreciation. You buy a car, you depreciate a car over five years. Why? Because you believe that the car will give you a good, useful life over five years. So in five years' time, you're going to reduce the value to zero. You buy for a million dollars. You depreciate it by 200000 each year until five years is valued zero in your books. Of course, you can scrap it, right? And it might have some value still. But officially, in your books, it values zero. Now, you can have different depreciation method. You can have accelerated depreciation where you put the bulk of the depreciation, depreciation in the first year. So you depreciate it by 400000 the first year rather than equally 200000 each year. Right. Um, then the next year you depreciate it by two hundred thousand. Then the following year two hundred thousand. Then a hundred thousand. Then fifty thousand. Or you can depreciate it equally two hundred thousand each year. The fact is, in the initial year, in accelerated depreciation, you have a big expense right there, so profit is less. Right. As opposed to straight line depreciation, you have two hundred thousand depreciation. Profit is normal, what it would normally would be. But however, over the accumulated five years, total revenue, gross revenue over the period. Gross um, total profit effect on financial statement remains the same. You see? So it is the same, more or less the same thing here with um, insurance companies. Over an extended period going into infinity, you know, business contracts, business opportunities, uh, total revenue, profit, balance sheet, more or less will trend to be the same. So if you are buying into the future and you are buying into the long term, you sh it should not to, in the long run affect the price you are willing to pay for any of these insurance companies. Um, for example, Key, which is a direct insurance, First Rock, which is publicly listed, Key and First Rock, but also we have insurance companies that own insurance companies. For example, Grace, which is a conglomerate because it is broadly diversified across the economy. Grace is a holding company, group of companies. NCB Group, uh, which mm -hmm. has a guardian holding, should be impacted. Um, Scotia has insurance. Scotia has insurance. All the insurance-related companies. 
Uh, Sajikor should be impacted. Sajikor, a big one, yes. yes. Yes, a big one. That should be impacted also. But again, as I said, in terms of valuation, it may have an impact on the short-term price, stock price. But given the condition we're, we're experiencing now, the high interest rate environment and markets globally um, receded, I, I, it's highly unlikely there'll be any significant impact in the immediate time between now and perhaps end of year significant impact on prices because prices are so low right now as mr leachin said prices are trading at super bargain prices you know, every right across the industry especially financial institutions so i don't see prices declining significantly no right but i believe if the market is not properly educated they may think that revenue has fallen off that that these companies have taken a big hit and there's a loss rather than an adjustment in a counting uh -huh. standard Right? So that is what we need to distinguish. There's a difference between depreciation or loss of value and an adjustment to the financial statements. Very important to understand the difference. Thank you so much, Clive. Yes. I know you wanted to talk about key insurance results as well, but because we went so much over time, we're going to have to save that one for another time. Keisha has an update for us okay. from the US of A. Buy yeah. signs that debt ceiling bill. Debt ceiling, right. How it affects us so short and sweet that the debt ceiling um, crisis that could have been has been averted because a new increased debt limit came about in the u.s so crisis gone for now at least um if the crisis wasn't averted the government wouldn't have been able to pay a lot of you know government salaries making pension payments so it's very good that you know at the 12th the 11th hour things kind of came together for them. Um, what it means then is that the stock market took a, a big jump up um, toward the end of last month on that news. So we had a really, really positive week last week in terms of stocks going up. Apple, for example, is at a new all-time high. Um, it's over $187. So stocks are rallying on this news because it's good. I mean, ultimately, though, debt remains a problem for the US and getting rid of that debt is going to be a whole other story in and of itself but for now crisis averted and for now the stock market can breathe a sigh of relief going into the summer months because prices have slowly picked well they picked up a lot last week and they're still going up into this week as well okay so keisha before we go tell us about your build wealth with real estate conference yes so yeah we're gonna talk a lot about it because you know you're gonna be there so kalila is gonna yeah. be one of the speakers at the conference as well. We're bringing in the best, the strongest experts that are there to talk about varying topics. So it's going to be August 19 at AC Marriott Hotel. Tickets are on sale. We are just locking down a main speaker that I'm very excited to share when we've signed everything, signed all the contract. We're flying in somebody huge, huge um, to be our keynote. So Grab the tickets. Um, they're on sale. Profitjumpstarter.com slash conference. Grab those tickets because the announcement is coming. Good yeah. stuff. Good stuff. Thank you so much, Keisha. Thank you, Clive. Woo! Tonight was epic. It really yes. was. <laughs> Guys, stay tuned, viewers. Don't go anywhere because I have a mini rant coming up after this short uh, message. This segment of Taking Stock, the Analyst, was brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart, and Profit Jump Starter. 
All right, welcome back to Taking Stock. So going through the comments, and there were hundreds of, if not thousands of comments tonight. And after Mr. Leachin made that generous offer to organize a, you know, a platform where he can mentor some of our people, uh, PG decided that he needed to comment this. He said he's willing to help us not be pimped by you. I even though it's just the one person, sometimes the tech things, things affect you, you know. We are human beings, we have feelings. And that really offended me just now for you to say that because PG, I provide so much free content for you guys every single week at no cost. This show is absolutely free for you to watch. We have content on Instagram. We have content on TikTok. We have content on LinkedIn. We have our newsletter. We have websites. So much content that is 100% free. And do you understand how much it actually costs me to get this content to you? So it's free to you, but it's not free for me to produce. StreamYard, the platform that we are streaming on right now, is not free. That costs me 50 US dollars a month. The emails that I send to you every day, summarizing what was said on Taking Stock, sending you the links, sending you the alerts so that you don't miss the interviews. Last month, my email bill was 500 US dollars. The automations that we set up, when you guys said credit, uh, comment credit, comment newsletter, comment this, we set up automations. That cost me $65 a month. We have employees. Kristen, big up Kristen Page Smith, our producer, who is the one who made, who called all over the place to get Michael Leachin's number and then call him and get him to agree to come on the show. She's a full-time employee of the company. She has to be paid. Orain, who is our videographer and editor, put together all the nice graphics for you, all the nice videos. He has to be paid. Our graphic artist, Kevon. Sachelle Williams, who is going to take tonight's show and write some beautiful articles out of it, summarize this whole thing for you so you don't even have to take the notes yourself. She has to be paid. This lovely studio, this cost me $65,000 a month plus bills. I have to pay light bill and water bill and internet and phone bill for all of us. This business cost me roughly $2 million a month to run, two point something million. Yet I charge you nothing. And for you to come on my platform and say that Mr. Leachin didn't agree for me to pimp him out is extremely offensive for me tonight. And I'm in my feelings. And so I am here promoting Money Mission and Money Week because I need your support. It's not because I just want to get rich off of your back because I've been providing free information for you for four years. You understand? Four years. We have been doing this at no cost to the public. And yes, we get sponsorships to help us do this for you. But I'm going to be completely honest with you this evening about what this year has been like in this business. It has been a very difficult year 
financially for KRM. And let me tell you why. You see that whole business with SSL? <laughs> that has impacted our business. And you can understand why. First of all, in January, that scandal broke. And so we had to stop selling the masterclass, which is a significant source of income for our company because it wasn't the right time for us to be sending that message. It was a time when people were, and still are to some extent, skeptical of anybody talking finance, of anybody talking investment. And so we had to pull our ads and stop selling that particular product, which is a significant portion of our income. And then on top of that now, we generally generate some revenue by doing paid interviews on investment opportunities, IPOs and APOs and rights issues, we have had none of that revenue for the past six months because of SSL, because all of these programs, all of these offers, uh, investment opportunities have been delayed. Nobody wants to come to market right now. And so we have had none of that revenue from our, what we call special features in-house. We have had none of that masterclass revenue for a couple months when we had to pull that. And now you have the nerve to come here this evening and tell me that I want to pimp out Michael Leachin. Extremely, extremely offensive. When I come here asking for your support in Money Mission, as a matter of fact, I've rarely even used the term support because I'm not begging anybody to give me any money. I am offering incredible value inside that community. I'm not going to come here and say, oh, please give me some money. Please give me some money. That's not how we do business. I prefer to, to come here and say, I'm going to give you incredible, insane value inside a community. And that is what we have been doing for this community that launched just a month ago. Two free webinars so far which went, both went extremely well in terms of the information we were able to deliver to you, the public. And by the way, that platform is not free. Mighty Networks is a beautiful platform. It costs us $200 a month and counting because the more people join, the higher the bill is. That's, that's the way the structure works. You get me? Our website, we have to pay our web designer to maintain that platform. We have to buy the domains. We have, there's so many expenses that come with running a business like this. And never once do I come here and beg you all for any money. And then you come on my platform and tell me how me want pimp out somebody. And so if I decide that I want to host an event, which I do, an event called Money Week, where do you think the money is going to come from to host all of you? If we have to rent a venue, we have to get furniture, chairs, where are you going to sit? You're going to stand up for a couple hours while Michael Leachin talks? You need AC. You need to be in comfort. You get me? Are we going to have materials? Do we have to rent a PA system? When things cost money. And I just, I just had to get that off of my chest this evening. So guys, head on over to the Money Mission community. I'm not begging you for anything. Yes, I'd appreciate your support, but more importantly, I want you to come for the value and for the community. I want us all to contribute. At the end of the show, every single week, I always say, 
we want to make money. We want to learn more about money so we can all get this money together. Don't I say that every single week? I always talk about us getting money together. That is what the Money Mission community actually represents to me. It represents an opportunity for us to share our knowledge, for us to all come together and say, I know a little bit about this. Let me share that with you. I know a little bit about this other thing. Let me share that with you. I am great at social media. Let me do a little webinar so I can teach you some of the skills that I learned doing social media. You may be great in Nicole is on, Nicole Barham. She has a program called Five Minute Bookkeeper about accounting. Let her come on the platform and teach you a few things that she knows. And she's a member, by the way, teach you a few things that she knows about accounting. We have other people there who might, might be have expertise in legal. You might be an entrepreneur. You have legal questions. And this is what I talk about, us supporting each other in a community format so we can all get money together. And uh, <laughs> I don't even know what else to say because that comment, and, and I know usually you're not supposed to focus on the negative things because there were so many positive things said tonight, but just understand that people have feelings, right? And sometimes I feel obligated to respond. Like the video, guys. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe to the newsletter at kalilareynolds.com slash newsletter. Join the Money Mission community. Very, very important. Like I said, our revenues have taken a hit this year, and we need to find a way to make it back so that we can continue to provide the value here on taking stock and on social media and via email and all the free platforms that we provide that content for you. Go to moneymission.mn.co. And I'll see you at the next webinar. I already have another idea in my head. I uh, won't announce it yet until we, we, um, we confirm. But yes, we're going to be doing a lot of awesome work over in that community. And I hope to see you there introducing yourself, sharing your skills, asking questions, answering questions. And we'll talk again soon. Until next time, guys. Well, normally say no. Let's get this money. Let's get this Money! Later. Let's get this money. <laughs>